Labor Day is the time we commemorate work and workers. It's the American equivalent of May Day, a observance that came about in 1882 and became an official holiday in 1885. So as we get ready to relax, to have fun, and do other things with our lives besides work this Labor Day weekend, let us for a few moments pause and remember that 14 million Americans are jobless, that another 15 million who are omitted from the official count because they are employed part-time or no longer looking for work. And let us pause and remember all those people who labor, either for pay or as volunteers, in jobs or at school, at home or at church, in the U.S. and around the world. And let us pause and remember with gratitude those who fought and died, the thousands of women and men fighting and struggling for limitations on working and protections for workers. Let us be grateful that we still have labor unions. Have you ever been out of work? unemployed. Now, I'm not asking this question to somehow seek a show of hands, but instead to invite some internal reflection. Now, when I say, have you been out of work, I'm not talking about having a month or a few weeks off between jobs when your next job has already been lined up and ready to go. I mean, have you really ever been out of work, not knowing what your next job will be and when you will have it? Have you gone through the nightmare scenario of going into work in the morning only to be called into your boss's office and being told rather abruptly and brusquely to pack up your things and then being escorted off the premises? Or have you like in the poem, waited in line for hours shifting from one foot to another to the knowledge that somewhere ahead a man is waiting who will say, no, we're not hiring today for any reason he wants. Now, for some of us here this morning, all of this may be evoking some very real and painful memories. But I lift it up because one in five Americans are living through this nightmare right now. And some of them, my friends, may be sitting right next to you this morning. Our heart aches for anyone who is unemployed. Unemployment is one of life's major stressors alongside divorce, or the death of a close relative. Unemployed people report being depressed, stressed, anxious, angry, and feeling hopeless. Mental health experts say that the country today is experiencing a major 
mental health epidemic. Why? Because work plays a central role in our lives. For most of us, our job is the only source of income. And when we lose that job, the loss of income puts our homes, our health insurance, our car loans, our debt, children's education, and much more at risk. Our job, our work, determines how we see ourselves and how others see us in the world. Now, while we all know in our heads that we are more than what we do for a living, our self-esteem is still linked to our jobs. A loss of job can therefore lead to a loss of self-esteem, a crisis of identity. Our work is also important because it does contribute, even if we struggle to figure it out at times, to the common good. It is how each of us does our part to the collective work that needs to be done for society to thrive and flourish. Now, work does not just refer to paid work. It includes all our efforts that contribute to the betterment of society. Many of us are engaged in multiple types of work. At home, as volunteers at our religious community or in the larger community, and as paid workers. Now, we work not just because we need to for monetary reasons, but because we are being fully human. Working, as Marge Piercy said, is as common as mud. Being a worker is integral to who we are at a fundamental level. And so seen in this light, our work has or should have intrinsic value. Our work, no matter what we do, needs to be performed with care and intention, and it must be treated with respect. Each one of us workers need to be treated with dignity and fairness on the job. Now, this is the reason why the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, which was formulated in 1948, states everyone has the right to work and to protection against unemployment. The right to work to a job is a fundamental human right. But despite the importance of work to our economic well-being, mental health, and even spiritual and social lives, millions of the people in the United States are still without jobs. Now, stocks plunged Friday once again over the news that no new jobs were added in August. Now, 17,000 jobs were added in the private sector, and then 17,000 jobs were lost in the federal government, and you know why. And there would have been a higher number of jobs, actually job growth, if Verizon had figured out a way to meet some of the workers' demands when they decided to go on strike. I'll come back to that 
about Verizon in a little bit. Now, official unemployment continues to be at 9.1%. And in this demographic, particularly hard hit, are teenagers aged 16 to 19. That's 25.4%. Young adults aged 20 to 25, that is 14.8%. African Americans, 15.9%. And Hispanics, 11.3%. Asian Americans are 7.7% and whites are 8.3% and so on. At the same time, the number of home foreclosures continue to grow. And in many locations, including Pinellas and Hillsborough counties, home prices continue to fall. Meanwhile, those who still have a job are worried about losing it or taking further pay cuts. But you see, the economic and personal pain is not evenly shared. While millions suffer, CEO pay and corporate profits continue to rise. 25 of the 100 largest corporations paid their CEOs more than they paid the government in taxes, according to a report just released by the nonprofit Institute for Policy Studies. Now, 20 of those 25 corporations did not pay anything, zero, zilch, in federal taxes this year. Wish we had the same luxury as individual taxpayers. And 20 of them spent more money on lobbying Congress than they paid in taxes. And the same companies also reported average global profits of $1.9 billion. And among the firms that the report cited are Verizon, Ford, G, eBay, Boeing, Dow Chemical, Motorola, Coca-Cola, and Prudential Financial. Now, studies show that income growth between 1970 and 2008 has been captured by the top 10% of households, primarily the top 1%. And among the bottom 90% of households, average income in 2008, which is the last year for which there is data, after adjusting for inflation, was slightly lower than what it was in 19. 70. So, just some statistical information to get us going this morning. Now, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, and this is what the freedom of the pulpit does, it allows me to have and also have the privilege of sharing my opinions. In my opinion, the economic meltdown of 2007 that went on till 2009, and in some cases one would argue is continuing into 2011, was the result of nearly three decades of deregulation, corporate greed, unchecked corruption, and the undue influence of corporate power over political and judicial systems both at the national and the local level. I guess you agree. Good. 
Another factor has been the systematic decimation of the labor union movement, which has traditionally stood against unchecked corporate power. By corporate attacks and lax enforcement of the protections for organizing that exist already. Now, I'm not saying that labor unions are perfect entities. Just as corporations are not perfect entities, labor unions are not either. But one needs the other to hold the other accountable. And when you take that balance away, what you have is a system run amok. In addition, changes in the laws governing the financing of political campaigns have further eroded democratic institutions and debased our political system. Now, this is just an aside about the Tea Party movement. Now, the Tea Party movement that has played such a definitive role in this recent debt ceiling circus mostly consists of people who have been harmed by the very same tax cuts for the rich that they seem to be fighting for and the spending cuts for the poor and the middle class. Don't you find that tragic? And I do not know how many of them are even aware that the Tea Party is being funded in large part by Americans for prosperity. I love these the way in which the neoconservative right frames issues. You know, which American wouldn't be for prosperity? Come on. You know, who wouldn't want to support the Clean Air Act? Everybody would, right? Well, the Americans of Prosperity is a group founded by the billionaire Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch. And in the past 15 years, the brothers have poured at least $85 million into lobby groups arguing for lower taxes for the rich and weaker regulations for industry. The groups and politicians that the Koch brothers fund also lobby to destroy collective bargaining rights, to stop laws reducing carbon emissions, to stymie healthcare reform, and to hobble attempts to control the banks and other financial institutions. Now, these very same brothers, who strongly oppose government meddling in business, of course, had no hesitation nor compunction in meddling in the affairs of Florida State University recently by trying to dictate faculty hirings in the economics department. Now, while all this is happening, national politicians and the national media seem to have dropped the ball on jobs. Now, one doesn't have to be a Nobel Prize-winning economist like Joseph Stiglitz to recognize that unemployment is our nation's problem, not the deficit. The economy cannot be revived, nor can we address our nation's deficit challenge unless more people are working, more people are paying taxes, and more people are spending money.
Now, President Obama, of late, has been saying the right things about creating jobs. But as Nicholas Kristof observed in a recent column, he is saying them far too meekly, and his jobs agenda seems anemic. Now, Kristof wonders if the president would have the gumption to fight to put jobs at the top of the national agenda. I guess we will all find out next Thursday when he addresses both Congress and the nation. Now, many of us have responded to the economic crisis personally by giving generously to food pantries, to homeless shelters, and other safety net organizations. And these efforts are helping millions of people. And UUC has been doing a wonderful job the last few years looking and supporting organizations in the local area that do reach out to people who are out of a job. Now, while these efforts are important, they are still inadequate and insufficient to address the larger crisis. You see, in a democratic and free society such as ours, it is up to all of us to arrange our economic system so that everyone can receive what they need. Everyone has access to resources that help them live lives of dignity and worth. And also, everyone is able to contribute their gifts, their work, for the good of all. Institutions, systems, laws, and policies are particularly in need of redemption and transformation. The work of the church is to care for the needy, the poor, the jobless, the homeless, and the hungry. But the work of the church, our job, is also to pressure Congress and the president to set aside their ideological differences and learn to work together to put the country back on track. The nation's priority must be to end this crisis of unemployment, even if it means running a larger federal government deficit over the next couple of years, and learning to spend this money wisely in ways that will create jobs, not line the pockets of the wealthiest. Now, I'm not pronouncing these things on my own, even economists on both sides of the spectrum are saying the same thing. In an article on politico.com that appeared in February of this year, Lawrence Michel and David Walker, a liberal and conservative economist, wrote together, and this is what they said, we must accept higher deficits in the short term in order to put people back to work. And at the same time, we must take immediate steps to agree on a path and a process for reducing the structural deficits that lie ahead. End of quote. I also believe that we need to raise taxes on the wealthy, the top 10%. And corporations... Because I'll tell you, if indeed the Bush-era tax cuts have worked, boy, why are we still in a recession? 
How is it working out for us now? We need to end the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> Bin Laden is dead. We have no clue. We don't have a clue of how to take care of our own people right now. How could we on earth have a clue about supporting the needs of the people in Afghanistan and teaching them how to govern themselves? My God, I shudder when I think of that. We are going to teach them. And we must reduce military spending. As the nation honors the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with a stirring new memorial, or a stern new memorial, however you want to put it, on the National Mall. I mean, did you see his face? I'm glad because he is pissed off. <laughs> he truly is. This isn't a man you want to mess with. Or I don't know, given that it was by a Chinese architect, maybe the Chinese are pissed off <laughs> that we're not repaying them the money they loaned us, that they had to get that into Dr. King. <laughs> Have you considered that, Fred? <laughs> Think about it. Multi-layered. <laughs> well, I digress. We, we would do well. We would do well as we honor this man and his dream to remember his words when he said, justice is not just a legal or moral question, but a matter of economics as well. Now, some of you may not know this, but the March on Washington in which he delivered his historic I Have a Dream speech was actually called the March for Jobs and Employment on Washington. So I'm even wondering if we should have another march on Washington. You know? And really, really get people's attention. But let me conclude with an excerpt from his Beyond Vietnam, Time to Break the Silent Speech, given on April 4th, 1967. April 4th, 1967. He said... I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a people-oriented society. When profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. A true revolution of values will soon cause to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. True compassion is more than flinging a coin at a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. 
now let us begin. Now let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world. The choice is ours. And though we might prefer it otherwise, we must choose in this crucial moment of human history. So, my friends, on this Labor Day weekend, let us choose to raise our voices, our spirits, and use our influence to call, to call for jobs for everyone who wants one, for living wages for all people, a safety net for all those who need it, and continue the struggle for a true revolution of values. So may it be. Amen.